that you've given us in Christ. Now illumine our minds with thy outbreathed truth. Soften our wills by the sweet ministrations of thy spirit within us. And arouse our affections to joyfully love our blessedly sweet Savior and brother. We pray this in Christ's blessed name. Amen. Let me see if I can turn slightly. John, can you pull this pulpit slightly? Maybe six inches forward. Yeah. And take your Bibles and open, that's good, I think, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, we'll read verses 6 through 10. 6 through 10. Colossians chapter 2. Stand with me, please, as we read from God's Word. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, being built up in him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, the empty deception of, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made full, complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Amen. You may be seated. I want to thank first the church for the gracious gift of this chair, which enables me to experience a lot less fatigue moving from spot to spot. It also lets me beat some of you in a race, but not all. But today, the all-sufficiency of Christ in Christ Jesus, the Son of the Father's love, what an incredibly glorious gift he has given to us in this short but profoundly deep Christological waters of this epistle to the church, the believers in Colossae. And we have seen the Holy Spirit's breathed-out portrayal of the glorious majesty of Christ over all creation, visible and invisible. He is the supreme potentate. 
And then Christ has been portrayed as head over the body, the church, as her supreme ruler and king. And indeed from verse 3, chapter 1, through the fifth verse, chapter 2, one essential theme has been presented, the gospel indicative. The gospel indicative. What God has done in Christ on sinner's behalf. And the apostle to the Gentiles has rejoiced in the Colossians' faith and love and the epignosco of Christ, which took them from mere assent, knowing the doctrine, knowing the creed, knowing the confession, to a fiducial trust, pursuit of relationship with Jesus Christ. But now in verse 6 of chapter 2, look at, please, the apostolic focus shifts from the gospel indicative to the gospel imperative. Shifts from what God has done on our behalf to the therefore, this is what you now are to do as a response to what I have done. And this focus will continue through the remainder of the epistle with gospel and dignity sprinkled throughout as Paul sensed the need to support the flow of 28 imperatives through this gloriously short epistle. He says in verse 6, as you have begun, continue to live your life. Continue to look to Christ. Continue to look to Christ alone for everything. And observe that verse 7 lists four verbs. Four verbs in verse 7, rooted in him built up in him, established in the faith, and overflowing with gratitude or abounding in thanksgiving. That's the ESV. But here's the point. Look at verse 7. The first three are in the passive tense. The first three are in dignities. They're in the passive tense. You could almost read it this way, verse 7. Passively having been rooted. Passively being built up in him. Passively being established in the faith. And then the fourth verb is active. An active participle, what we do overflowing, actively overflowing or abounding with gratitude. 
pastoral reflection. Is this me? The overflowing with gratitude part. Is this me? Am I a man, a woman, a boy, a girl who would be thought of as overflowing, just kind of bubbles over the sides with gratitude? Gratitude for what? For what God has done, rooting me, establishing me. Is this me? <laughs> Sinclair said this in one of his sermons, that some believers look like they were baptized in vinegar. <laughs> yeah, now that'd be a shock to the system. And is a shock collaterally to the relationships around those who look like they were baptized in vinegar. And this is not to condemn you, but to call you to repent. <laughs> it's that simple. It's not to condemn, but to call you to repent, to embrace joy in Jesus, to dwell on him instead of your sour ideations. Dwell on Jesus instead of dwelling on what stirs you up. That's the gospel response to the glorious indignities God has given us in Christ. So where Christ fills the heart, grace, mercy, and peace abound blessing the self and blessing those around. Such is my prayer for you individual and for this church as a whole. Now, positively, Paul in verses 6 through 7 emphasizes the continuity of the transmission of gospel truth, which relates to both doctrine and practice, what I believe and how I behave. The teaching which had been delivered to the Colossians embraced the apostolic witness derived from Christ, whose authority is supreme, and maintained in purity by his indwelling presence. Now verses 8 through 10. Look at verses 8 through 10. The apostle issues a warning, a warning to beware, to see to it that no one, no teaching plunders you beguiles you, takes you captive through the empty deceit of philosophy. And Paul does not condemn the love of wisdom, which was what philosophy means, but specifically that which seduces believers from the simplicity of love for and faith into Christ. 
And it might be a very fine thing, a good thing, that is distracting you from your pursuit of Jesus. You say, but it's a good thing. But is it distracting you from your pursuit of Jesus? Because if it is, then for you, it is a bad thing. Christ is the priority. Christ is that which enables us to choose between two things, both of which are good. You choose the one who Christ is. Very simple. Reformation Study Bible says of verse 8, By traditions of men is meant the customs and opinions of men that are not revealed by God. The traditions of men means the customs and opinions of men that are not revealed by God. And yet the world ever offers a counsel from Mr. Morality, Mr. Worldly Wise Man, and a host of practitioners in the wisdom of the world to meet needs in those struggling from any discomforts of any kind. Indeed, the world can help you with your relational struggle. The world can help you with your spiritual struggles. The world can help you with your emotional struggles. And today, the world can help you with the non-organic struggles of the mind, the will, and the affections. And where the struggle is organically based, see a medical doctor. I have, I have an endocrinologist, a oncologist, a pulmonologist, a neurologist. I have them all. It's a heavy hand of cards. See a medical doctor when they're talking about that. But in our day, anthropologically based theories, musings, have been combined with pharmacologically based therapies to help those suffering from non-organic issues of the mind, the will, and the affections. And the help comes in a myriad number of therapeutic models which often contradict each other. Of course they do, because a plethora of theoreticians are writing these models from an anthropological foundation. Do you struggle with guilt? Let us try various therapeutic models to find one to help you with the burden on your back. We will not challenge 
your core values and beliefs. Oh no, because everybody's core value and everybody's beliefs are right and true. So we won't challenge that, but we'll offer you coping skills, coping tools to help you with your struggle. I've mentioned this before, but it seems particularly apropos in this flow of this sermon. I can remember walking down Front Street in the prison, cell houses on the left, industry houses on the right, tower in front of me, and up walks the head of mental health, a psychiatrist. And she came right up to me, very friendly, and said, Chaplain, how are you? I said, I'm good, ma'am. How are you? She said, tell me, I have a question. How do you handle the issue of guilt with the inmates? I was not a little surprised that this PhD psychiatrist would ask a lowly chaplain that. But I reflected and I basically said, as pain is to the body, so guilt is to the soul. And then I unpacked that in the gospel in about two, three minutes. She listened politely, said thank you, went her way. She never approached me again. <laughs> but I knew what her method of helping the inmates was because at the time we had over 1,500 inmates heavily on psychotropics because of anger and guilt and depression, you name it. Doped them up, they did. Mental health, as I saw it there in the prison, Mental health will prescribe psychotropies to help with that burden on your back because it is a burden. It's a heavy burden. I can remember going through protective custody, PC, and got through the first section, 30-some cells. We came through the door and this man in his mid-twenties just rushed at me, desperate, desperation all over his face, tears, anguish, agony of soul in his countenance. And he said, Pled, chaplain, chaplain, you've got to help me. I can't get it out of my head. I can't sleep. The images and he went on to describe what I'll not describe. A sexual crime against a minor involving homicide. 
and he couldn't get it out of his mind and head. Now, what do you think the mental health will do with that? Because guilt is a wrong ideation. You shouldn't have guilt. You shouldn't have to have that on your back. We can help you with that. Take these. I approached him with the gospel. Hmm. Paul says, don't be taken captive. Don't be led astray by deceitful philosophies which are rooted in the speculations, the traditions of men. For in a closed system, what's that? One that has shut God out. A closed system is a system of thought that says there is no God in heaven. We are on our own. Let's get the best, the wisest, the most educated amongst us to come up with a plan to address these issues. In a closed system, like ancient Colossae and our culture, which has cast God and his gospel out, all of the thinking and theories and therapeutic models, because that's what they were in Colossae, they were trying to help people cope with crop failure, flood, disease, famine, intrusion by other military people pressing on them. They were trying to help them. So all the thinking and theories and therapeutic models are all lumped by the Apostle Paul in the same basket as astrology and horoscopes. These spirit emanations that the Colossians were supposed to be appeasing and praying to. In other words, the mere thinking of men darkened in their understanding. That's Romans 1 language. Listen, where a society has rejected the Creator God and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of their therapeutic thinking and therapeutic models to help hurting people are at best utterly deficient, both redemptively and restoratively into the image of Christ, and at worst, demonic. At best, they are deficient to what you hold in your hand in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the counsel of God through scripture. And at worst, it is demonic. Christ is he to whom the believer looks. Christ is he upon whom we depend for help and his blessed presence with us both the, in both the organic and non-organic struggles of life.
Christ is the one to whom you turn. You say, what are you saying? Don't go to a doctor. Don't be ridiculous with your accusations. I've got more doctors than probably any of you have. I have an endocrinologist who monitors my blood sugar levels. I'm on an insulin pump. That's an organic issue. I have low blood iron. So I see an oncologist who scratches his head each time and says, you're not a woman. Why are you losing iron? I see my neurologist, don't be silly accusing me of saying, don't go to a doctor. That's not what is being said by the scripture here. But here's my testimony. Both my neurologist and pulmonologist repeatedly ask me, one time each visit, but every single visit. Are you depressed? No. They never asked me if I'm happy. <laughs> no, I'm not happy. They also never asked me if I'm joyful. Yes. Yes, I am joyful. Because my eyes are on Christ and not my circumstances. They also ask, are you having any suicidal ideations? No. And they also ask, would you like an antidepressant? No, thank you. My neurologist observed. She said, you are the most astounding example or patient of mine in how you are coping with your diagnosis. In about 90 seconds, I spoke Christ to her. She hasn't made that observation since. <laughs> But it was a Macedonian call. It was an open door. Listen, Christ is the answer. Christ Jesus is God's relational gift who walks with us, talks to us through scripture, comforts us, dries our tears, calms our fears. Christ is why seven days before Kathy went home to the Lord, I could ask her, have you any lingering fears or anxieties? And with a sweet, glowing smile, she said, no. Because of Christ. She loved Jesus. <laughs> but more than that, she knew that Jesus loved her. Well, Paul elaborates on his closing phrase in verse 8. And not according to Christ. By giving us verses 9 and 10. 
And here is one of the most blessed passages in all the scripture. Here the Spirit presents the beautiful majesty of Christ Jesus and his complete sufficiency. Verse 9 is the bedrock. Verse 9 is the bedrock. In Christ, all the fullness of deity of God dwells bodily in bodily form. Christ the man is God. And verse 10 is the glorious implication for those in Christ. We have been made complete, full, entirely sufficient in Christ who is sufficient for us and to us. This passage teaches the all-sufficiency of Christ. And the word filled, ESV, made complete, is in the perfect tense, meaning the results of our being made full are eternal. Colossians 2 then tells us that at salvation, believers are made complete in Christ, being filled with Christ who is all-sufficient. 2 Peter 1 says the same. 2 Peter 1 speaks of his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God in Christ has provided to us all things that pertain to life and godliness that psychiatrists on Front Street did not get that. A lot of our culture doesn't get it either. Believers are spiritually complete because they have fellowship with God. Believers are morally complete in that they recognize the authority of God's will through his word. Believers are mentally complete because they know the truth about ultimate reality, their minds being cleared up from their own deceptions and the deceptions of Satan in their culture. The teaching which alleged that the Colossian believers lacked anything, Paul says, was absurd, a lie. They had been deluded, taken captive. The child of God in Christ Jesus, my brother and sister, has all sufficiency of God and does not need any cult, false teacher, 
or mental health practitioner offering pharmacological therapies for non-organic issues of the heart, the mind, the will, and the affections. Christ is all-sufficient. The child of God has all the resources of the all-sufficient Christ within them for everything pertaining to life and godliness. Application. I must surely be considered in heaven as a poster child of this because I have all kinds of organic issues. <laughs> and I'm seeing MDs accordingly. I also have all kinds of non-organic issues. Try my diagnosis on for size. And I tell you, all I need there is Christ, who has surprised me. <laughs> I think in where I found him through my ALS, oh no, Christ found me in my ALS. Let's pray. Father, we confess the glorious all-sufficiency of thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, blessed art thou for for sending him to join himself as the perfect image of the invisible God, the second Adam, the prototype, the perfect one, through whom we look, from whom we gain understanding, instruction. O oh Lord, teach us to lean heavily, heavily, and totally upon Jesus for all non-organic issues. Where the organic issues are, you've graced our culture through common grace with great medical practitioners. Thank you for this. Thank you for how that has sustained my life physically. But Lord, in the non-organic, you, Jesus, you are enough. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.